Welcome, everyone, to the Theology Central podcast. I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And this episode is coming to you live on Thursday, December the 9th, 2021, at 4.48 p.m. Central Time. We have a lot to talk about, so let's let's let us... Let's just jump in. Does that, does that sound like a good idea? Hopefully, hopefully getting used to the new intro. We, we use a lot. I'm going to be using a number of different intros until I find the one I'm most comfortable with. This one is just the music. And then I have to come in and tell everyone that you're listening to the Theology Central podcast. So that kind of messed up what I'm typically, what I'm used to doing, but welcome everyone Welcome. Hopefully you you can tell me what you think about the new intro, whether you like it or dislike it. You can always send me your thoughts and opinions. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. But as I've already said, we have a lot to do. So let's jump in. Are you ready? Here we go. From the New York Post, from the New York Post headline, Pope Francis says sins of the flesh aren't that serious. Pope Francis says sins of the flesh aren't that serious. Now, this is how we're going to approach this. One, we're going to look at the news story. What was actually said? Are we sure that's what was said? We're we're just going to try to get the basic information of what occurred and well, why this is in the New York Post. And I've seen it in a number of other, on a number of other sites as well. What happened? What was said? We're just going to try to understand what actually occurred. Then we're going to look at it in light of Catholic theology, Catholic doctrine. I have right here next to me the Catholic Catechism. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at a little bit of history. We're going to go back to what Pope uh, Gregory the Great, sixth sixth century, I believe. I'm just going from the top of my head. I believe that that's correct. We're going to look at a little history. We're just going to look at everything in in light of Catholic doctrine. Then we're going to take a step back and, in a sense, forget Catholicism and then just ask ourselves some important questions about how we view sin. How do we rank sin to in certain levels or certain degrees? How do we treat sin? Now, like we may say, no, we don't have a distinction, but we then clearly act like we have a distinction, then we'll try to talk about how this applies to us. So first, what happened? Then how does that relate to Catholic theology? And then we'll talk about ourselves and what maybe we can learn from this or be challenged by this. So let's get to the story first. Here is the story, again, from the NewYorkPost.com. I saw this a couple of hours ago, maybe, maybe five hours ago. I can't remember when, but I remember seeing the news notification. I'm like, wait, what? What just happened? What is going on? And then I just started seeing it showing up here and showing up there. And everyone has an opinion. Let me tell you, everyone has an opinion. But let's look at it and see what we can do with this. Here we go. Headline, once again, Pope Francis says, sins of the flesh aren't that serious. Lust is not the worst of the seven deadly sins, according to Pope Francis. Now, let's stop right here. Now, we have Pope Francis saying that lust is, as he says, 
Lust is not the worst of the seven deadly sins. So we have to stop and just ensure that everyone understands the Catholic idea of the seven deadly sins. It is talked about right here in the Catholic Catechism. It's been a part of Catholic history. So let's make sure we have a a correct understanding of that. And then we will proceed with with the article and and try to understand exactly what occurred. The seven deadly sins, if you're not aware, uh, the seven deadly sins, also also called seven deadly capital sins, also referred to as seven cardinal sins. Now, I just want us to think about this. If these are the seven deadly sins, if these are the seven capital sins, if these are the seven cardinal sins, that would seem to indicate all seven are extremely serious. So what Pope Francis is saying, okay, there's these seven sins may be deadly. However, and let me go back to the news article because I want to make sure we state this correctly. Lust is not the worst of the seven deadly sins. So even among the seven deadly, according to Pope Francis, or at least this is what he's indicating, there's a, there's a ranking of how serious these sins are, even amongst the seven deadly sins or the seven capital offenses, or let me make sure, the seven capital sins or the seven cardinal sins. So even though all seven are deadly, even though all seven are capital, even though all seven are cardinal, okay, there's, I guess, a ranking system within the seven. Now, right there just seems to me, at least on the surface, to go, okay, come on. That, that, hey, hey, of, of the seven, lust isn't the worst. Okay, so, like, how are we ranking these? Like, who comes up with the ranking system, right? Okay, this, lust is 25% less serious than the ones that come before it. It's 10% less serious, 15% less serious, and just because it's less serious, what's the what's the practical implications of drawing this distinction? Now, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm not trying to be funny, but it's it's I think these are real questions. Wait, these are seven deadly sins and you're telling me but that one is not as worse as the others or not it's not the worst of all of them. Like, how are you ranking them, all right? Now, here's a little background. In Roman Catholic theology, the seven vices, seven cardinal sins, seven capital sins, or seven deadly sins, uh, the seven vices that spur other sins and, fur- and further immoral behavior. So in Catholic theology, the seven deadly sins, the seven capital sins, the seven cardinal sins, they are the seven vices that spur and bring forth other sins and further immoral behavior. The reason these seven are deadly, capital, or carnal is because they lead to and bring about more immoral behavior and more sin. They lead to more sin. Okay, well then, if that's, if that's true of all seven, then how do you rank within the seven? I mean, like, how, how, far, do you, how, how far do you go with this, this concept? All right, but here we go. These first, these seven deadly sins, seven capital sins or seven cardinal sins, were first basically mentioned by Pope Gregory I or Pope Gregory the Great in the 6th sixth century and elaborated in the 13th century by St. Thomas Aquinas. They are, here are the seven, number one, vainglory or pride, number two, greed or covetousness, Number three, lust or inordinate or illicit sexual desire. 
Number four, envy. Number five, gluttony, which is usually understood to include drunkenness. Number six, wrath or anger. Number seven, sloth. Each of these can be overcome with the seven corresponding virtues of number one, humility, number two, charity, number three, chastity, number four, gratitude, number five, temperance, number six, patience, and number seven, diligence. So you've got seven virtues that can overcome the seven deadly sins. Now, again, let me go back to the news article. According to Pope Francis, lust is not the worst of the seven deadly sins, according to Pope Francis. Now, again, I don't know how he is ranking them in any way, shape, or form, but that's what he has to say. Now, if you look in the Catholic Catechism, and if you look at paragraph, where is it? Um, If we go to paragraph 1865, this is a section uh, called the proliferation of sin. And paragraph 1865 says this, sin creates a, 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 basically a, sin creates a situation and a desire to lead to more sin. In other words, sin leads to sin, right? I'm kind of paraphrasing, but you get the idea, all right? Um, It engenders vice by repetition of the same act. So if you sin, it creates a desire, it creates uh, a moving towards more sin. This results in perverse inclinations which cloud conscience and corrupt the concrete judgment of good and evil. Thus sin tends to reproduce itself and reinforce itself, but it cannot destroy the moral sense at its root. So sin leads to more sin. Sin just, it just, it just continues to reproduce itself. You sin, you sin more, you sin more and sin more. At some point, according to them, you have to break this cycle right? 1866, the next paragraph says, vices can be classified according to the virtues they oppose or also be linked to the capital sins, which Christian experience has distinguished. Following St. John Cassian and St. Gregory the Great, they are called capital, in other words, the seven capital sins or the seven devilly sins, because they engender other sins, other vices. They are pride, Um, And then they go through envy, wrath, lust, gluttony, sloth. You get the idea. Um, And then we could could read a little bit more. But the bottom line is, this is a a, a base. This is not, this is a teaching within the Catholic Church. This is a teaching within the Catholic Church. And I'm sorry that I'm kind of just paraphrasing a little bit of the catechism, but I don't want to spend this entire time going through a detailed teaching of the Catholic catechism at this point. I just want you to see that it's in the Catholic Catechism itself. Now, this is very important because if it's in the Catholic Catechism, that is the official dogmatic doctrinal statement of the Catholic Church. So if you have the Pope, did he just go against that? Now, some will say yes, some will say no, but I, I, that's, to me, a very important issue about this story. But wait a minute. So he, according to Pope Francis, you've got the seven deadly but you can rank the seven. Okay, the Catholic Catechism just seems to be like, no, all seven are classified as capital sins because they engender other sins and other vices. The reason is all seven engender more sin and more vices. Therefore, all seven are capital, are deadly. So is this is there a historical precedent within Catholicism to rank the seven? And what does it mean that one is ranked higher than the other? 
It is how do we how do we understand that or how do Catholics understand that more more importantly because I mean it's the Pope all right um, I I want to read more from the Catholic Catechism but I'll just set that down for right now let's go back to the news story all right headline Pope Francis says sins of the flesh aren't that serious lust is not the worst of the seven deadly sins according to Pope Francis there are worse indiscretions than sex outside of marriage the leader of the Catholic Church told reporters on the papal plane while en route from Greece to Italy on Monday. So there's worse indiscretions than sex outside of marriage. So lust is not one of the worst of the deadly, uh, deadly, lust is not the worst of the seven deadly sins. There are worse indiscretions than sex outside of marriage. Right now, again, he's, now, th- th- my, my question here at this point, this is very important. Okay, wait a minute. Now, we know within Catholicism, they divide sins into two basic categories, a mortal sin and a venial sin. Now, you, can, you just blank, can you just lay out a blanket statement? Well, sex outside of marriage is not one of the worst indis- you know, indiscretions. Well, wait a minute. If sex outside of marriage rises to the level of a mortal sin, then it is. <laughs> so, so are you saying sex outside of marriage is no can never be classified as a mortal sin? It's always venial? I don't think you can say that. In fact, let's, I'll go, I've got the Catholic Catechism right here. If we go back, so, that, so if you go back to page 453 or paragraph 1849, they start in a section with the definition of sin. All right. So they go through the definition of sin and then they say in paragraph 1852, there are the different kinds of sin. There are a great many kinds of sin. Scripture provides several lists of them. The letter to the Galatians contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruits of the spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are plain fornication, impurity, uh, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that starts off with fornication and purity and licentiousness. All right, well, all of those would be, would fall into the category of sexual sin, including sex outside of marriage. So not only do you have, not only do you have the seven deadly sins as listed in the Catholic catechism and have been a part of Catholicism, at least since the sixth century, You've got scripture itself. So what is Pope Francis doing here? Hey, hey, it's not the worst indiscretion. Well, it's listed right here <laughs> as one of the, uh, the works of the flesh. Uh, they go on to say in paragraph 1853, uh, sins can be distinguished according to their objects, as can every human act or according to the virtues they oppose by excess or defect or according to the commandments they violate. They can also be classed according to whether they concern God, neighbor, or oneself. They can be divided into spiritual and carnal sins, or again, as sins in thought, word, deed, or omission. The root of sin is in the heart of man and his free will according to the teaching of the Lord. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a man. But in the heart also resides charity, the sources of the good, pure works, which sin wounds. Okay, now we can get to a whole theological discussion about what's going on there, but you get the basic idea. Now, 
Here's the next section, paragraph 1854 in the Catholic Catechism. This section is called the gravity of sins, mortal and venial. Now here's the ranking system as put forth by the Roman Catholic Church. Hey, you've got these different categories of sin, right? There's all these different ways of dividing them up. But when it comes down to it, when it comes to the gravity, which one is worse than the other, they either will fall into the mortal side or the mortal camp or the venial camp. If they're in the mortal I don't, can you rank those within the mortal? I don't know. They're mortal. They, they, uh, they're, no matter what, which sin you commit, if you commit a mortal sin within Roman Catholicism, you get the exact same effects. And if you commit a venial sin, doesn't matter which one, you get the exact same effects. So is, is Pope Francis just now denying this, this distinction? Uh, what, what is he doing? Well, let's read about this. Sins are rightly evaluated according to their gravity. The distinction between mortal and venial sin are are already evident in Scripture. It became a part of the tradition of the church. It is corroborated by human experience. So they say, according to them, this distinction between mortal and venial is in Scripture, it's in tradition, and we can see it in human experience. Now, we, we could debate this all day, but just letting you know what the Catholic Church teaches here. Mortal sin destroys charity in the heart of man by a grave violation of God's law. It turns man away from God, who is his ultimate end and his beatitude by preferring an inferior good to him. Now, please note, this is what mortal sin does. It destroys charity in the heart of man. Uh, It turns man away from God. That's what mortal sin does. So can you come along and say, well, but that mortal sin is different than that mortal sin. And that mortal sin is worse than that mortal sin. At some point, you're drawing so many distinctions that the distinctions lose all sense of meaning here. But okay, let's continue. Um, Venial sin allows charities to subsist even though it offends and wounds it. So so venial sin, see, mortal sin destroys charity. Venial sin allows charity to subsist even though it offends and wounds it. So so already you're drawing a major distinction between these, these two kinds of sin. Mortal sin, by attacking the vital principle within us, that is charity, necessitates a new initiative of God's mercy and a conversion of heart, which is normally accomplished within the setting of the sacrament of reconciliation. You commit a mortal sin, you got to go through the process of reconciliation, right? Because it destroys charity and it's serious. Venial, it's a little bit different. For a sin to be mortal, three conditions must together be met. Mortal sin uh, mortal sin mortal sin is sin whose object is grave matter, which is also committed with full knowledge and deliberate consent. Grave matter is specified by the Ten Commandments corresponding to the answer of Jesus to the rich young man, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Well, right here, you've got do not commit adultery would involve all sexual sin, right? So let's think about this. Premarital sex. Sex outside of marriage. Let's just think about this. Um, It involves a grave matter because Jesus himself condemns sexual sin outside of marriage. Um, It is committed with full knowledge. Now, the the issue would be, okay, if you're a Catholic, well, you should know that obviously sex outside of marriage is a sin. So now you're doing it with knowledge and you're obviously doing it with deliberate consent because clearly if you're having sex, you're giving deliberate consent unless a crime is being taken place unless someone is forcing you to do so. 
So I would say it would be easy to classify this as a mortal sin. And if it's a mortal sin, well, then all of those things happen. Even if you want to say that mortal sin is not as bad as that mortal sin, all of those things would still be in play. So what in the world is Pope Francis saying? So let's read this all again, because it just seems so, it doesn't even seem consistent with Catholicism. You got the Pope, it it appears to me from a surface level, I'm willing to hear, you know, I'm going to try to see what Catholics are saying about this, but it seems that this doesn't even make sense in light of Catholic teaching. So let's go through this again. Pope Francis says, sins of the flesh aren't that serious. Lust is not the worst of the seven deadly sins, according to Pope Francis. There are worse indiscretions than sex outside of marriage, the leader of the Catholic Church told reporters on the papal plane, which is en route from Greece to Italy on Monday. Sins of the flesh are not the most serious, the 84-year-old religious leader said. Regarding sex outside of marriage, uh, let me read this again. Sins of the flesh are not the most serious, the 84-year-old religious leader said, regarding sex outside of marriage. Top transgressions instead include pride and hatred, according to the news agency. Francis' rankings of the worst wrongdoings followed the resignation of a parish archbishop, and it goes through some of the things that took place. Uh, And then there's a whole host of these things that happened to this uh, to this archbishop who uh, who quit over a relationship with a woman earlier this month, and we could go into a whole discussion there. I don't want to get into all of those details. I'm just trying to figure out. What exactly? So pride is worse. Well, well, wait a minute. If pride, if pride is a mortal sin, and if sex outside of marriage is a mortal sin, how can you say one is worse than the other? And if all of them are classified as deadly, cardinal, cardinal, then why a capital? all of the ways that they've been defined, how can you then come on and say, well, they're all deadly, but one's more deadly than the other. They're all capital, but one's more capital than the other, right? One's, they're all cardinal, but one is more cardinal than the other. It just seems like, it just seems confusing to me of the way this is, and, and, and I listen, I know, I know, I know, I know. Pope Fran- this happens all the time. Pope Francis says something. Everybody's like, what in the world are you talking about? Everybody is baffled, confused. And then at some point, either, usually it's the Vatican, they release a statement saying, well, he didn't really mean that. You misunderstood it. You ripped it out of context. It got lost in translation. They always have 740,000 reasons why everyone's misinterpreting it. But at some point, he's the Pope. He could, why does he keep speaking in ways that causes so much confusion? Now, I think most Catholics are just going to shrug their shoulders and say like, who cares? But I I think it's interesting because it seems to be, this is why I think it's interesting. I think within the, even within the Catholic system, where you have mortal, venial, you have these distinctions. This is what mortal sin does. This is how bad it is. This is what you have to do to try to fix it. Uh, here's all the damage it does. You no longer in a state of grace. All the different things it does. Here's venial sin. Here's what it does. Here's how you have to correct that. Even in a system that has distinctions, it appears that even those distinctions aren't enough because when push comes to shove, they're even willing to make further distinctions. And break it down even more because I think there is a tendency, maybe, and you can tell me where you think this arises from. I think it arises from our sinful nature. 
we, we like to say that sin is worse than this sin. This sin is worse than, because we want to look at it from some human perspective on how we see sins and we want to rank them because we, we're, we're, we're almost led to do this. And, and now here's where I'm going to kind of move away from the Catholic church and, and, and their teachings. I know we could spend more time in the Catholic catechism, but I at least wanted to give a basic idea there. I know that wasn't a, I'm going to get emails from Catholics saying, but that wasn't a full teaching on the, I wasn't trying to do a full teaching on the subject. I'm just trying to indicate that there's questions about what Pope Francis said, even in light of Roman Catholic teaching, right? And I think everyone would have to, at least if you're honest, would have to acknowledge, okay, yeah, that, that is, he didn't say that clearly. You, could, you, you would have to at least acknowledge that. It does lead to some confusion. But what I want to do is take that and I'll move it towards us. Because I think there's something inside of everyone where we, want to, we, we view different sins in different ways. Now, we all, everyone runs to the scripture to try to back up their perspective. Everyone like, no, see that scripture, see how it's worded? That makes that sin worse than that sin. And, oh, you see that, that sin makes it worse. You see, and everyone does this, but let's just be honest. Not only does everyone do this, sometimes we're not even very consistent with it. Let me give you, let me just give you, and I know some of these examples are going to be extremely controversial, but we have to at least talk about it because we we clearly make exceptions. We clearly, in a sense, act and judge on some kind of a unspoken curve. Well, let me just, and I, and I mention these and every time I mention them, people, people get upset, but that's okay. Even if you hold to a view that God allows for divorce, even if you hold to that view, you first, someone would have to actually get divorced and meet that criteria that is that that some people call the exemption clause, that there's an exemption here and you can get divorced. Right? Even if you make an argument that, yes, there's an exemption and here are the situations where you can get divorced, then you would have to prove, okay, you can get a divorce. Then you would have to prove that the person can get remarried while their other spouse is still alive. Now, even if you make an argument that there are re- times a person can get a divorce, and even if you make an argument that they can get remarried, let's just go with the assumption that you can argue that there are times you can get a divorce and you can get remarried. Let's just say you win that argument and you prove your point. Great. You would have to acknowledge that there are plenty of people and for almost every church in this country that there's no way that their divorce met the requirements for the exemption and they went ahead and got remarried anyway. And at that point, the Bible would declare that they are now living in an adulterous relationship. They are, they are adulterers. They are committing adultery every time they are together. How does the church handle that? Cannot, uh, the Catholic Church has their rules, at least in their doctrine and, and their theology, not that it's necessarily practiced in the, the, the local parish, but they at least have a way of looking at it. But in the non-Catholic world, it's almost handled as, well, you made that mistake. There's nothing you can do about that now. Now that you're married, you, you live out your life as married, as happily married people, and you try to glorify God in your marriage, which includes having physical relationships. So they are, they are li- biblically, they would be guilty of committing adultery over and over and over, but the church just says, nope, it doesn't count. We're not going to hold you to that. You do not have to abstain, engage, have children, do whatever. It's perfectly okay. 
Now, what's crazy is you may have someone sitting in your church who biblically are living in an adulterous relationship. They get a pass. They're like, you're good to go. However, two teenagers sitting in the back of the church who as someone finds out that they're engaged in premarital sex, they won't get the exemption. They don't get a pass. They'll be condemned. Now, wait, 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 wait. So the people sitting up there, that married couple up there who's in an adulterous relationship, even if you allow for an exemption in remarriage, they don't meet that criteria. They're okay. But the two teenagers in the back of the church, they commit premarital sex. They may even get church disciplined or called out in front of everybody. Let's use a different example. You have two people in the church who are clearly married, married, but they don't meet the exemption clause. In other words, they're divorced and remarried. They don't mention the exemption clause. Therefore, they're committing adultery. They get a pass. But if anyone else in that church commits adultery, they may get church disciplined. They may get called out. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If they can commit adultery, why can't they commit adultery? We're like, well, that's different. They did it a long time ago, and now there's nothing they can do. You just did it. Well, wait. See, we make a distinction. Let me give give you an example, all right? If someone commits a sexual sin, in other words, a physical act, they sleep with someone they're not supposed to, that in many cases will be treated as adultery, and I'm not saying that it shouldn't be, treated as fornication, and something will happen. But according to scripture, if any man in the church looks at a woman with lust, he is guilty of adultery or sexual sin in the heart. Now, on one hand, Jesus says, hey, that's adultery. And we say amen to that. Clearly, we don't treat it the same. We don't say, okay, every man in here who's had a lustful thought this week, you better repent or we're going to church discipline you. But if someone in the church just got caught in a physical relationship with someone, then everybody will be like, that's it. That's it. You're done. You're finished. You got to, well, wait. So, so we draw a distinction, right? Is that a, is that, is that, I'm not saying it's a wrong distinction. I'm not saying it's a bad distinction. I'm just saying we make that distinction. Another example, the Bible says, do not murder, do not kill. But the Bible also seems to indicate that you can murder and kill someone without ever committing a physical act. Clearly, we don't treat the people in the church who are committing murder internally the same way we would treat someone in the church who committed murder physically or externally. We would draw a distinction. I I give you another example. You may have a church where the Bible is clear that the woman is to to be submissive to her husband as unto the Lord. And you may have a church where there's lots of women in the church who not only struggle with not being submissive, in many cases, they just flat out rebel against it. You'll have a man in the church who gets caught looking at pornography. Do they get treated the same way? The pornography will be considered scandalous, bad, and, 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 and may, he may have to meet with the pastor who may have to then set up accountability that someone's now going to monitor his internet traffic to make sure he doesn't do that again. How about the woman who's, who's not submissive to her husband? Does she get an accountability partner? Does, does someone check in with it, it? It's treated differently. Now, I'm not saying what, that's wrong. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not making a judgment about it. I'm trying to acknowledge that everyone does this. There's something in us that we're like, well, wait a minute, because the Bible will say something is a sin. Now, we, we always look for any language that may imply, well, that sin is worse than that sin. That sin is worse than that sin. I mean, if, if two people in the church are caught in a same-sex relationship, 
I guarantee you that will be treated far differently than two two teenagers of an opposite sex who are caught having physical relations, boyfriend, girlfriend, right? What they're heterosexuals, they get caught in a physical relationship. They will be treated far less severely in most cases than two people in the church who are who are committing a physical relation, a sin of a physical relationship as same sex, a same sex couple. Now, some of you said, but 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 Romans makes it very. You're going to go to certain passages that seem to say, but see that makes it worse. But I can go from scripture to scripture to scripture saying, hey, if you do this. You, you you don't inherit the kingdom of God. If you, I mean, over and over and over, we got scriptures all over the place that would condemn these other sins as being, in many cases, some of these sins are, are listed in the exact same list. Now, I don't know if Pope Francis is being consistent with Roman Catholicism or not. I don't know. It To me, it seems suspect at best and a downright denial of it at worst. Catholic theologians can debate that, but I will say that I can take that and and just demonstrate that everyone struggles with this. How do we view that sin? Why do we and why do we view that sin worse than that sin? Why why is that person, you know, branded with a scarlet letter, but that person isn't? How come that person is good to go? That person is considered now disqualified from breathing. You commit that sin, okay, okay, it's okay. It's okay. You can be forgiven. It's okay. You're 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 good to go. And then you commit that sin. They're like, absolutely not. At at sundown, we're crucifying you, and you're going, and we're going to burn your body, and then take the ashes and bury them in the deepest ocean. And you're like, whoa, wait, what? Because we we view things from a very human perspective, and I will argue that in many cases, the Bible, everyone runs to their scripture trying to prove their. Point, but not everyone. Obviously, if it was that simple, everyone would just go to the scripture and go, "Okay, here's what the scripture says about sin, and here's how we are to view it, and here's what we do." In many cases, the Bible just says, "Here is sin. If you commit that, you're guilty." Now, what do you do after the fact? Again, to me, there's clear, clearly, there would be even if you believe in an exemption clause. Even if you believe in in being able to be remarried after divorce, even if you agree with all of that, there would be obvious cases where people don't meet the exemptions and meet the criteria to get divorced or remarried. Well, what do you do with people who don't meet the criteria? Well, we typically do. Well, they did that before they were saved, so it doesn't count. Doesn't count. So if you, hey, if you want, if you want to get married, get divorced and get remarried, just do it before you were saved. And then after you're saved, all of that's forgotten. Now you can live in an adulterous relationship. It doesn't count because you did it before you were, you did it before you were saved. Well, everyone could, everyone could just say, well, you know, I messed up, but I wasn't saved then. I got saved after. So now do I get the, do I get the exemption as well? Like how, how does that work? Everyone has their way of trying to make, an excuse. I'm just saying that we all have to acknowledge everyone struggles with this. The Protestant world has their mortal and their venial list, just like the Catholic world. The only difference, at least the Catholic Catholics have the system somewhat clearly articulated, at least in the catechism. Now, even though they have a distinction between mortal and venial, now we got the Pope going, well, there is a there, mortal and venial, but even within the mortal, I guess there can be, well, this one is not as bad as that one. So what does that mean? 
Pride is worse than sex outside of marriage. Really? Really? That, 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 that sounds great and that sounds spiritual. How many people <laughs> have been excommunicated for pride versus sexual sins? I will say sexual sins always get the headlines. Sexual sins always get the attention. Man, you commit, you can have pride all day long. <laughs> Probably very little's going to happen about that, right? Very little. But man, if it's a sexual sin, it's on the front page. The only probably the only reason this ends up in the New York Post is because it's about sexual sin. Sexual sin, like, oh, it's scandalous. It's 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 it deals with sex. That's really bad stuff. That's really, we, 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 we really place that in a, a category. Now, by no means am I excusing sexual sin. Please note, it's a sin. There's no question about it. The Bible condemns it. No question about it. There's no question about it. But it also condemns gluttony. It condemns slothfulness. It condemns pride. I mean, it, it condemns a lot of things. It would condemn you not loving your enemy. It would condemn you not loving your neighbor as yourself. It would condemn a wife not submitting to her husband or a husband not submitting to the authority over him. It would condemn a husband not loving his wife as Christ loved the church. I mean, there is enough condemnation to go around in the Bible that we would all, what we should all do is say, woe is me, I am undone. And instead of trying to see who sinned the worst, we can all just confess that we are all sinners and it's only by God's grace and an imputed righteousness that we have any hope at all. Now, I'm not saying that means we excuse sin. I'm, I'm just saying that maybe we have to rethink how we approach it. Not saying we excuse it. Now, I make this very clear. If crime was committed, in other words, rape, domestic domestic assault, child abuse, anything that's a crime, that clearly can't just be viewed as a sin by the church and, and, and we'll just deal with it. No, it has to be turned over to the authorities and the authorities have to get involved. But I just think that this is a, I know everything I'm going to say is going to create all kinds of controversy and I'm going to get emails, everyone trying to say, no, this is the way it works. And I, and I guarantee you for every way they try to say it works, either one, if they're honest, they're not even consistent with the way it works. Two, there'll probably be some logical consistency in their argument for how it works. And three, it's going to be based off, well, see that scripture, that right there, that scripture. But I can go to other scripture that, you're, because even, even sometimes in the scriptures, it doesn't make sense, Right. The scripture seems to indicate if you kill someone, you should be killed. Moses killed someone. Next thing you know, he's leading Israel and he's writing the the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. As a murderer, David not only did he commit, uh, uh, commit adultery, he had the husband killed as a murderer and he's not killed. Not only is he not killed, He's writing the Psalms, okay? <laughs> so you're like, so wait, so there's two murderers, okay, who are not put to death. Okay, so how do you how do you understand? There's Abram lies, puts his wife in very serious situation, uh, you know, by saying, "Hey, tell everyone that you're my sister, you're not my wife." But the next thing you know, he's you know he's 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 the hero of the faith. So you, but then you've got people who lie, right? And Ananias and Sapphira, boom, and they're dead. Now, this comes to the concept of God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He will bring judgment on whom he will bring judgment. 
that's God, how God operates. But it just demonstrates that, wait a minute, God seems to show great mercy here. But here it seems to be quick judgment. Why? Now, we fall into that and we think that we can then, we can create a system where we can determine that. We, it's, it's just, it's so funny when, when I hear Christians say, well, you can be forgiven. However, there's going to be consequences. Well, we'll, we'll slow down. Now, who's, who's issuing the consequences? Who issues the consequences? Because many people would have said David should not have been allowed to write scripture after murder and committing adultery, but he did. So we'll say, well, see, he got punished because he didn't get to build the temple. Oh, right. So the person who got to build the temple only committed far more adultery, was a serial adulterer and a serial polygamist that puts David to shame. So he, so David, his consequence was he couldn't build the temple because he committed adultery and murdered someone, but a serial, not only a serial adulterer, a polygamist and someone who became an idolater, it's not only does he get to build the temple, he gets to write books for the Bible as well. See, we would come along and say, no, 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 no. No, he, he can't do that. He can't, he's forbidden. He is excommunicated. Whoa. See, see, I love when Christians say, here are the consequences, but they're the ones who write the consequences. They're the ones, as like, well, who, who gave you the authority to write the consequences? No, I'm not saying a church can't say, if you do this or this, here are the consequences. I'm not saying a church can't do that. Just acknowledge this is what we're enforcing and don't always try to run to the scripture and say, this is what the scripture says should happen because the scriptures in many cases don't outline clear, like it, it may say, if you do this, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that there's never a point. Like some people will go to the qualifications of a pastor. Yeah. If you're doing those things, you're currently disqualified, but does the text say that if you repent and are restored, you can never be a pastor again? Some will say, yes, according to what? The text just says, if you're doing these things, that would make you disqualified. It doesn't say if you stop, repent, restored, you could not be brought back. But, but they would say, no, you can't. And well, then they would, because they, they just come up with their rules. So we draw all kinds of distinctions. We come up with all kinds of rules. And this news article just brings a lot of this to light. I, I don't have good answers here. I just think it's, it's interesting. And, I, and again, I, I feel like I should have read more from the catechism to just get more of the Catholic perspective. But um, yeah, yeah, if so, you can, you can read. I, I, would, I, would, uh, I would just challenge you if, you if you want to know the Catholic position and where you can look at the Catholic position and compare it to uh, what Pope Francis has said. You can go to paragraph 1849 in the Catholic catechism. And there's places online where you can just look up the paragraph number, paragraph 1849, and just start reading. And it goes all the way to, I would say, um, paragraph 1876, all right? So starting uh, paragraph 1849 to 1876 should give you a very good overview of the Catholic teaching about sin What's serious? What's not serious? How we how we determine which is a grave sin and not a grave sin, and you should you should look at it, and then you can go find look up the New York Post and read all of that news article. Again, there's more there, but they get into this long, lengthy discussion. Okay, um, all right. There, there's another news story that's breaking. I don't have time to look into that. Uh, but then they get into this whole discussion about the 70 year old 
um, was it was it an archbishop, archbishop and his resignation and everything that he supposedly happened and uh, you know the pope accepted his resignation uh, and you can you can look at everything that uh, happened there. That that to me is secondary. What's what's primary to the story is Pope Francis saying sins of the flesh aren't that serious. Lust is not the worst of the said seven deadly sins, and there are worse indiscretions than sex outside of marriage. And that just seems like wait a minute, what what happened to the seven deadly sins? What happened to mortal versus venial? Is this now a new distinction? Now everyone will say, well, and this is always the go-to argument for Catholics. The Pope will say something that appears to be absolutely crazy. And they'll say, well, he wasn't speaking it in an official capacity. He wasn't issuing actual dogma of the church. Well, what in the world is he doing? He's he's speaking as the Pope, the head of the Roman Catholic Church, and he just indicated a clear perspective about certain sins not being as serious as others even though that seems to fly in the face of some Catholic teaching. That is what, trust me, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to keep up with Catholic news sources and see what they have to say about it. I bet you either it will be ignored or if they do mention it, it's going to be like, well, all of the non-Catholics out there saying things about it don't, don't understand. Okay, well, at some point, you know what, your, your Pope should be able to be a little bit more clear. Don't, I, think, I think that's a, a fair you know, I think that's fair to say. He's the leader of your church. He should be consistent and clear when speaking about things that relate to official Catholic teaching that's found right here in the Catholic Catechism. All right? There you go. So you can let me know your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I bet you there'll be more about this if you happen to see a news report or some other commentary about it. Let me know if, if you feel that I've not been fair with the Catholic Catechism and the official teaching about mortal and venial sin and the seven deadly sins, capital sins, cardinal sins. Then please let me know um, because I just, I just find it interesting that he's trying to make a distinction within a distinction. But at the same time, I'm acknowledging that even in the non-Catholic church, we have, we're all over the place in how we make distinctions. We... <laughs> We're like, no, no, wait, no. I mean, it's all over the place. It I, sometimes I don't even I, I don't even know what we're doing half the time. I don't even know if we have a consistent actual theology when it comes to some of these issues. I know many are going to disagree with me, but that's I. My job is to put these things out there and to get you to think and to try to challenge you to think and ask the tough questions that even makes us uncomfortable. I could just sit here and bash Pope Francis. But what would be the value in that? I want to take what Pope Francis has done and put the light on us because we have a lot to, before we worry about the Catholic Church, we probably have a lot to look in the mirror and go, well, I'm, I'm a pretty inconsistent in my view on this as well. All right. Let me know what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.